This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. We will now have the scripture reading. So please take the time now to grab your Bibles and flip to Zechariah chapter 9. The passage for today is Zechariah chapter 9 to 10. Uh, The passage will also be displayed on the slides and I'll be reading from the NIV. And after we finish reading, uh, Pastor Andrew will explain the passage to us. Zechariah chapter 9 verse 1. The word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and will come to rest on Damascus. For the eyes of all people and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord and on Hamath too, which borders on it, and on Tyre and Sidon, though they are very skillful. Tyre has built herself a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy on the sea, and she will be consumed by fire. Escalon will see it and fear. Gaza will rise in agony, and Akron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king, and Eshkelon will be deserted. A mongrel people will occupy Ashdod, and I will put an end to the pride of the Philistines. I will take the blood from their mouths, the forbidden food from between their teeth, Those who are left will belong to our God and become a clan in Judah. And Ekron will be like the Jebusites. But I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now, I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a coat, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south. And the Lord Almighty will shield them. He will destroy, sorry, they will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be like a, they will be full like a bowl, used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a, as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive, and new wine the young women. Chapter 10. Ask the Lord for rain in the springtime. It is the Lord who sends the the thunderstorms. He gives showers of rain to all people, and 
plants of the field to everyone. The idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions that lie. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wander like sheep, oppressed for lack of a shepherd. My anger burns against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord Almighty will care for his flock, the people of Judah, and make them like a proud horse in battle. From Judah will come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. Together they will be like warriors in battle, trampling their enemy into the mud of the streets. They will fight because the Lord is with them, and they will put the enemy horsemen to shame. I will strengthen Judah and save the tribes of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. The Ephraimites will become like warriors, and their hearts will be glad as with wine. Their children will see it and be joyful. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. Though I scatter them among the peoples, yet in distant lands they will remember me. They and their children will survive and they will return. I will bring them back from Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to Gilead and Lebanon, and there will not be room enough for them. They will pass through the sea of trouble. The surging sea will be subdued, and all the depths of the Nile will dry up. Assyria's pride will be brought down, and Egypt's scepter will pass away. I will strengthen them in the Lord, and in his name they will live securely, declares the Lord. The word of the Lord. Hey, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Great for you all to be here today. And uh, especially during the time of uh, COVID, uh, for those of you who are home on Zoom as well, a very warm welcome to you. Let's go to God in prayer now as we ask Him to help us to understand His Word, but not just understand it for our heads, but to really fill our hearts uh, with a great uh, desire to want to know Him and to love Him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to thank you for you are God who speaks and speaks clearly to us. And so we pray that as we read your word in Zechariah chapter 9 and 10 today, that you help us to bridge the many centuries between us and the time of your people then. See that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that we are uh, your people. Your promises are still uh, secure. Pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, this is me uh, when I was a very, very young boy, a very young lad, and uh, and this is me, actually, in my grandfather's house in the Jalan Penimpin in the Thompson area. So in those days, there were no high-rises. Uh, Bishan was still a cemetery. Um, there were pig farms around my grandfather's place. And my mother would drop me off, and my grandmother and my grandfather would uh, look after me for the day. She would cook, uh, my grandmother would cook me a meal, 
And uh, for entertainment, there was no TV, but I'll play in the garden and draw with chalk on their veranda. And uh, my grandfather would sometimes take me to a single story, one hall cinema where uh, Thompson Community Center is today. Now looking at, at those times, I think I took my grandparents for granted because it was really a lot of effort for my grandparents to look after me. After all, my grandmother had to cook me the dishes, they had to entertain me during the day, chase after me. I even slept on the bed that they slept in. And uh, as I reflect on my life, I took those uh, days for granted. You know, I took my gra grandparents for granted. And I think that we can also take God for granted. We, after we become a Christian for a while, we don't really appreciate God or we're not really thankful for God or we don't really um, value what God has done for us. But I hope that after today's passage, it will be a great reminder, a great encouragement, so that we may have a fresh appreciation of what God has done for us, a fresh gratitude towards God. Now, in order for us to understand today's passage, we need to put it within its context and the structure of the book, which I think is really important, especially for those of us who maybe cannot remember. So Zechariah began with the introduction in chapter 1. Okay, so introduction basically was a challenge and an invitation by God to his people so that his people would return to him and his promise was that he would return them, right? Return to me and I will return to you. So that's what chapter 1 introduction was about. We then had eight visions. Okay? And these eight visions really were all about what God's return would look like. And so through these eight visions, how do we see the return of God looking like? Well, as God comes and returns to his people, he then gives us these visions that God, through his return, will make sure that sin departs from where God is. Right? As sin, God comes, it's incompatible for sin to be there, and so then sin then departs. We also see that there was the promise of judgment and the execution of judgment. And so this is what, um, what God's return will look like. And last week, we looked at Zechariah chapter 7 and 8. And um, we began by God's people coming to, uh, God, uh, to God through Zechariah and the priest and asking whether they should keep uh, fasting, right? Because, you know, they were fasting because the temple was destroyed. And now that the temple was being rebuilt, they were asking, should we keep fasting? But go remember what happened uh, when we studied the passage last week? your Bible studies and your the sermon, God expanded on that question and said, look, he's not really interested in religion. He's not really interested in their rituals. What he really wants from them is a deep and abiding and sincere relationship. So today we're going to be looking from chapter 9. Uh, and we're not going to go all the way to chapter 14, which is the end of Zechariah, but we're going to be looking at chapter 9 and 10. And so the next two sections are oracles. There are two main oracles in chapter 9 to 14, right? And so what's an oracle? Okay, an oracle, I guess in today's um, layman's turn, is like, uh, you know, like fortune telling, or astrology, or, you know, palm reading, or some sort of crystal ball thing. But when we come to the Bible, an oracle is not something, uh, you know, some con man does to you, but it's uh, God, the God of creation, the God of history who's speaking to us. And so he is telling us in these oracles a certain vision of the future. Right? So these oracles are what is certainly going to happen in the future. Now, this word here, oracle, 
which you see in your Bibles as a subheading, as a subtitle. Uh, it's actually part of the original text of the Old Testament in Zechariah. Usually when you look at your Bibles, it's full of subtitles everywhere, right? That's uh, put in by the translators of the Bible to help you read the Bible better. But here, actually, in Zechariah chapter 9, this subheading and oracle is actually part of the text itself written by uh, the original writer. Now, what does this word oracle mean? Now, if you are using the ESV translation, uh, the word oracle is translated as a burden, a burden. It's a negative implication, a threat. Uh, the word oracle can be, have a positive meaning, a word which lifts you up, a positive message. So we're going to begin now in chapter 9, verse 1, with the negative implication of the oracle, the burden, right? So in the ESV, if you're using the ESV, it's the burden of the Lord against these nations. And so what is the burden of the Lord which is against these nations? Well, it says there, the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrek and will rest upon Damascus, for the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. And upon Hamath too, which borders on it, and upon Tyre and Sidon, though they are very skillful. Tyre has built a stronghold, so built herself a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea. She will be consumed by fire. Ashkelon will see it and fear. Gaza will writhe in agony. Akron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose a king. And Ashkelon will be deserted. Foreigners will occupy Ashdod and I will cut off the pride of the Philistines. Now as you read these uh, first five verses, I can see your eyes glazing over, right? Because it's just filled of all these alien names. It's like, where are all these places? Adrak, Damascus, Hamath, Tyre, Sidon. These are all long, long uh, disappeared places. But in those days, uh, they represented the cities and the peoples and the nations of the major enemies of God's people. Sorry, it's a bit small. But you can see that right in the purple area, Hamath and Damascus were part of the nation state of Syria, which was on the north of God's people. Uh, Sidon and Tyre were part of uh, the great maritime nation of Phoenicia who were famous for being, being very rich because of their trading and they had a very strong navy. Then the yellow part, the Philistines, they were the ancient enemies who were always a thorn in the side of God's people from the book of Judges onwards. And so what God promises here in Zechariah chapter 9, in the first few verses, is that the word of the Lord is going, the burden of the Lord is against these nations and he's going to bring destruction upon them. So, in Phoenicia, he's going to destroy their wealth, right? He's going to sink their ships. The Philistines, he's going to cause them to be invaded and their king to be removed. And so right from the very, very beginning of these oracles, we see the burden of the Lord against enemies of God. And so what this prophecy is really saying, that God's justice and judgment will not be blocked by time and history. So all the people who oppress God's people, all the nations who persecute His people, all the peoples who attack His people, eventually, one day, they will face God's justice, they will face God's judgment, they will face God's wrath. And so, I don't know whether you all know, 
But in the courts in Singapore and all around the world, there's this principle called the statute of limitations. Speak to some of the lawyers in our congregation. I see one here already. Okay? So the statute of limitations is about how there's a limit to how long you can actually uh, uh, go to the police and tell them that you've been a victim of crime before you can actually go to the courts and actually get justice. Now, here we see in the, I got this off the internet, in the Georgia State of Limitation, Statute of Limitations in America, right? Two years is the limit of the Statute of Limitations. So if you're injured by someone, someone punch you, you have two years before you can go to the police, before you, you know, it expires that you can go to the police and actually file a complaint and get justice. But what this passage is really saying here is for God, right? There is no Statute of Limitations. All of God's peoples, all of God's nations, all of God's cities, regardless of time and history, if you attack them, persecute them, you oppress them, God's word will be against you, God's justice, God's wrath, God's judgment and wrath will be against you. Now, I think that this is a very powerful and important word for us. Maybe we don't give thanks for the character of God in this way because in Singapore, we don't really feel particularly oppressed persecuted or attacked as God's people. But just last few weeks, uh, I've been getting uh, newsletters and emails from uh, various sources asking me to pray for oppressed people, oppressed Christians all around the world. So even of today in Afghanistan, uh, now that the Taliban have gained power, uh, you know, there are many Christians who are living in fear there of their very life. Uh, they were saying that uh, even if you have a Bible software on your phone, right, if the Taliban find out, they, they might actually kill you or imprison you as a result. And so, you know, imagine living as a Christian under the Taliban in Afghanistan. Or, like someone else was uh, writing to me about how um, Christians are feel more and more persecuted in Sri Lanka. I mean, who would have thought that, right? I mean, we don't really think of Christians in Sri Lanka. And just last week, at the Barnabas Fund, they wrote to me, asking for uh, aid because of uh, Christians being unable to receive medical care in Sri Lanka. Again, uh, somebody was uh, telling me through uh, email that uh, there's a lot of persecution in Nigeria. In fact, more Christians are murdered for their faith in Nigeria than in any other country in the world today. And so, as high as the violence is against Christians in Nigeria, on the 29th of July this year, there was a new report which actually says that the anti-Christian violence in Nigeria is at the highest level for years. And last week, just a few days ago, I got this uh, uh, newsletter saying that you know, 12 Christians were killed and attacked in the Kuduna state. And then a gunman killed one and abducted three at a church service in Kogi state. So for these people, Christians, God's people around the world, Learning that God will bring justice to those who kill them, oppress them, kidnap them, rape them, or, and, or, and imprison them, is a great, great encouragement because they know that they will receive justice one day as they remain faithful to God. Now, in the book of... Uh, oh, okay, so this, the first thing we learn in this first part of the oracle is that God judges, right? God will be the one who brings justice to those who attack in the book of Revelation chapter 6, uh, we are told that God will judge, but we are waiting in the in-between time 
before Jesus comes again and justice comes. So in the vision of chapter 6 of Revelation, verse 9, it says, When you opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of the Lord, or word of God, the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been was completed. And so as we come to this first section, the burden of the Lord, the negative oracle is against enemies of God's people. Justice will come to them. But then in verse 7 to 8, uh, we see how there is now a positive oracle, a positive word of God. It says, I will take the blood from their mouths and the forbidden food from between their teeth. Those who are left will belong to our God and will become leaders in Judah. And Akron will be like the Jebusites. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now, I am keeping watch. So a pastor once said that it's really good. He finds it really exciting when he finds things which are unexpected or new in the Bible. And here is something that is new and unexpected, right? Because here it speaks of something which is very surprising. So here we see that God speaks of taking blood and forbidden food from the mouths of the nations which are actually oppressing God's people. So what does he mean? Well, in the ancient world, part of the expression of idolatry was the eating of blood, uncooked blood, and the eating of forbidden food. And so what God is saying here when he says, I will take the blood from their mouths and the forbidden food from between their teeth, he's saying saying he will take away idolatry from them. He will take away the, the false worship of false gods from them. And he will, what will he do? He will bring them into his people. So the nations, not all of them will be judged. Not all the people will be judged. But rather some who are left, it says here, will belong to our God. They'll be so much part of the family of God They'll become like leaders in Judah or they'll become like clans in Judah. That means they're part of the 12 tribes of Judah, of, 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 of Israel. And Ekron, that means one of the foreign lands, will, will be just like the Jebusites, just like God's people. And so this is a very, very positive word. It's not a burden of God on the people, but a positive plan of God. God says the nations will be invited and they will come in to be part of his this is his grand plan of salvation, his promised oracle of the future. He then goes on to say, in chapter 10, verse 6, a similar idea of salvation. So actually, when you look at the oracle, right, it's not as if uh, it's like an encyclopedia, everything's grouped into one section, right? Kind of like spread out everywhere, but the themes keep being repeated. And so verse 6, it says, I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will restore them because I have compassion on them. They will be as though I had not rejected them, for I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. The Ephraimites will become like mighty men, and their hearts will be glad as with wine. Their children will see it and be joyful. Their hearts will rejoice in the Lord. I will signal for them and gather them in. Surely I will redeem them. They will be as numerous as before. So the key idea here is salvation, right? 
salvation of the nations, but here, salvation of God's people. God is going to save by gathering. God is going to save by redeeming. So what are these two very important themes? So God is going to save by redeeming. This idea of redeeming is to set people free from bondage, free them from oppression, free them from slavery. And so remember, this was written in 522 BC. And so 586 BC, right? Remember, a very, very important date we keep reminding each other about. There was the Babylonian exile, right? They were, they were invaded by the Babylonians. And so the people were scattered all over the ancient world. Right? They, 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 originally, they went to Assyria, the northern kingdom, southern kingdom. They went down to Babylonia. They were exiled. So God says he's going to redeem them. He's going to set them free from the bondage and oppression of living in all these foreign lands. But it wouldn't be enough just to set them free from the bondage and oppression and slavery of living in these foreign lands as exiles. God also says that he's going to gather them. He's going to gather them. So last week, God used the image of this tornado, right? So God said that he, you know, he picked up his people and he cast them out like this big tornado. So, uh, I don't know, my, my, my sign's not very good, but there's a big difference between centrifugal force and centripetal force, right? So last week, we saw how God exercised centrifugal force on the people, right? Like a big tornado, he sucked them up and he cast them out into exile in all the nations. But in this oracle of the future, God is going to bring them back together with centripetal force. It's a bit like the water which is going down your drain, right? You know, it collects all the water, all the four corners of your tower or your bathtub, and it brings it together. So that's what God is going to do with his people. He's going to gather them. Now, the picture here is of a shepherd, right? So earlier on, it says, you know, I'll whistle to them and they will come. You know, it's a bit like, uh, you know, you whistle, I don't know if you have a pet, dog comes or you whistle and all the sheep come. That's what God's going to do. He's going to whistle and all his people are going to be gathered together. They're going to be redeemed from the oppression of the lands they're in. And so here we see this wonderful plan of salvation in these oracles. Salvation for the nations, not judgment. Redemption for God's people set free from oppression and slavery and the ingathering of God's people. Now, as we fast forward to the time of Jesus, Jesus says that he is the good shepherd. He is the one, in a sense, that calls out or whistles, and his sheep hear his voice and come to him. So in John chapter 10, verse 14, it says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them in. Also, they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. So we found here in Zechariah chapter 9 and 10 that God whistles and brings in the flock like the centripetal force, right? But in the end, it's actually Jesus who's the one who calls out and his people come to him. Now this is a wonderful um, Wonderful picture, isn't it? Because I don't know about you, but as we live in this world today, 
It's really wonderful to be able to look forward to a time where we can be redeemed out of this world and gathered together finally with God. You know, it's like the world is becoming more and more anti-God in its values and its attitudes. It's hostile to the values of God. Hostile to the things that God loves, like holiness, love, mercy, humility, truth, care for the weak and the vulnerable. And more and more, it celebrates the things that God hates. Pride, arrogance, immorality, cruelty, violence, and materialism. And you know, as you find it harder and harder to live in this world because we are aliens and strangers. We long to be redeemed from this world's existence and to be gathered once and for all with God. And that's what God promises in this oracle. Judgment on his enemies, yes, but salvation for God's people, salvation by the redemption of this, from this world and the gathering of us to him. Now we now come to Chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. And these are like the purple passage of uh, Zechariah. It's not just this purple passage of Zechariah. It's like the purple passage of the whole Bible. Because this verse is like the key, key verse of understanding not just the oracles of Zechariah, but the whole Bible. So, so let's read it carefully. You rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. Now, as we've been looking through chapter 9 and 10, as uh, Denzel read it to us, the main primary character is God, isn't it? Okay? God is the main character of chapter 9 and 10. But here we're introduced to a third person. And who is this third person? He is your king. Now, we've already had hints of who this character, your king, is, right? Zechariah chapter 3, he is the branch who comes out of the house of David. He is the one that sprouts from the line of David who will be the eternal king, the one that's promised in 2 Samuel 7. He is this king from the branch of the house of David who will rule for eternity, the Christ, the Messiah. In Zechariah chapter 6, when the crown was placed on the, on the head of the priest, Joshua, we learned that in the future, there will be the fusing of the priest-king role in one person. And now we learn of this king, Zechariah chapter 9, right? So Zechariah chapter 3, the branch, Zechariah chapter 6, the priest-king, and now Zechariah chapter 9, this king are all the same person. And so what is this king like? this priest-king, this branch of David. Well, it says there that he is righteous. Now, what does it mean to be righteous? To be righteous is to be righteous in character, right? to be a righteous person, to be righteous in action, to do what is right. And here, this person, your king, is not righteous in a subjective way where, you know, in the world's eyes, we can be righteous one day, then tomorrow we are mistaken and you know, people don't like you anymore. And it's subjective righteousness. But this is an objective righteousness. In God's eyes, this king is always perfectly righteous and does what is right. This king also has salvation. 
It's almost as if he has salvation as a possession, a present possession. And so because he possesses salvation, he's able to give salvation to people. And these two points are really, really important because this king, therefore, then, is able to fulfill the oracles that God has promised. Because he is righteous, he will be the righteous judge. He will always make the right decision through justice. Because he has salvation, he possesses salvation to give. He can bring salvation to God's people. So this guy, your king, is a really, really important person to look out for. So we must pay attention and recognize this king when he comes, right? So how do we recognize this king? Well, we recognize him because this king will be gentle, riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, these are not all different animals, okay? The colt is actually a young donkey. It's not like you got a donkey, then a horse or something, okay? No, it's like you got a donkey, adult donkey, and then a younger donkey, right? So, you would expect this king to come like the Egyptians, right? Riding in a mighty chariot, you know? Driven by all these great horses. Or maybe he rides on this big, big steed of a horse, you know? Like, you know, you watch Lord of the Rings, they, they don't ride donkeys, right? They're riding like big horses, right? Majestic horses. But instead, this, this king, this king of Zechariah 3, priest king of Zechariah chapter 6, he comes riding in a donkey. Okay? And who comes riding in a donkey? Jesus. Jesus deliberately, he consciously goes out of his way to get a donkey so that he can ride into Jerusalem. So here we see Matthew chapter 21 verse 21 or verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her, hold by her, and tie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell him that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so we see here that Jesus is deliberately marked out as the fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 9. 500 years before Jesus came, Jesus was already the one who we are meant to recognize as the branch, the priest king, and the king who is righteous, having salvation. And so we see Jesus history, and it helps us to understand more and more, right, what Jesus was doing, who he was, and what his mission was. He was the king, the priest king, the branch of David, the eternal king, the one who brings judgment, the one who brings true justice, but also brings salvation. But that's not all that this king brings. Verse 10, it says, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, this is fascinating, right? Now, this word here, peace, this king is going to bring peace and his peace is going to come because his rule extends 
across from one sea to the other. It's going to be a universal rule which brings peace, a peaceful rule. Now, this word peace here is not our understanding of peace today, right? The absence of war. This word peace here is the word shalom. And this word shalom is more than just absence of war. It's a total wholeness. Everything good, right? It's all good. Total well-being. And that's exactly what Jesus brings. Because his peace is so unique that when he comes, you don't need the weapons of war anymore. No more chariots, no more war horses, no more bows and arrows, right? Because his peace is enduring, it's permanent, and it will never be broken. See, today, why do our young men in Singapore serve in the national service? Why do they go to NS? We serve in NS because through national service, we hope to achieve peace. Right? Peace is achieved because when you carry a big stick, people don't disturb you. Right? And so there's this universal axiom, I can't read Latin very well, which goes, civis passum parabellum. Right? If you wish for peace, you prepare for war. And that's the reality throughout history. Right? It's an axiom. So, uh, the Roman emperor said, he who wants peace must prepare for war. This guy called Claudius. Uh, this is what he looks like on the coin, right? John Kennedy said, it is an unfortunate fact that we can, we can secure peace only by preparing for war. But you see, the peace that the King Jesus brings is not like the peace of this world. It's, it's the shalom peace. His peace, you don't need weapons of war to secure peace. It's going to be permanent and enduring. So as we come to the end of what we've learned today, we see that God, through his oracles, promises three great things, three certain futures. One, the encouragement of the judgment of God's enemies who persecute and attack his people. The second oracle of the salvation of God's people, those nations, the remnant of whom come to him as well as his people, by redemption and gathering, and also the promise of eternal shalom, peace. And all of these things have already in some way started to be fulfilled because we see that the king, Zechariah chapter 3, the priest king of Zechariah chapter 6, and this righteous salvation king of Zechariah chapter 9 has already come into this world and he promises that when he comes again, these three oracles will come to pass. So in conclusion, I want to look at the three real-life illustrations that help us to really take to heart what we've learned here and to value God and to be great, you know, uh, give thanksgiving and gratitude to God even more. So the first thing uh, is, over time, um, I've occasionally met people who are victims of crime have you ever been a victim of crime before? You know, something bad has happened to you? Well, sometimes you can be a victim of crime, but the perpetrator is never caught, right? Or, or the perpetrator gets off. And so these people are Christians and they are very upset. You know, they feel that there's no justice for them. And because of that, sometimes they lose faith in God. And I tell them, you know, it doesn't make sense to me why you should lose faith in God because you're a victim of crime and the perpetrator got away. Because we live in a world where we expect 
crime. Right? We live in a world where we expect, we expect criminals to sometimes get away. We live in a world where sometimes justice is indeed blind. Right? But by letting go of Jesus, letting go of God, you're actually letting go of the one who promises true justice, true judgment. Do you think our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, Sri Lanka, or Nigeria, will they get justice? Most probably not, right? Their perpetrators will get away. But thanks be to God. Because one day, God promises, God of justice will come into this world. There will be true justice for the people who attack and persecute His people. There was a movie I watched last week on Blu-ray, um, and uh, it's called The Little Things. And it's about this uh, detective, uh, Denzel Washington, who is trying to catch a serial killer. And so he has, uh, I remember in the middle of the movie, he has a conversation with uh, someone, and uh, you know, the guy asks him, do you believe in God? He says, yes, I do. But he says, you know, when I see the wickedness in the world, I see all this crime, the world, and the bondage and oppression of evil and all this vile, nasty, wicked things that this serial killer is doing. He questions his faith. But again, that doesn't make sense to me. Because, you know, we live in a world where we are under the reality where there is vile, wicked, and nasty, evil things which happen. We live in the bondage and oppression of evil and crime. And who is going to redeem us from this world of wickedness and evil and crime? Is it the FBI? No, right? Is it the police and the detectives? Will they eradicate this oppression of crime? No, they cannot. But only Jesus can do that uh, because only He can free us and redeem us and gather us into a world where there is no crime. So lastly, if you've been... Uh, Reading the news whatsoever, uh, there seems to be this great threat of perhaps war in the future, right? Uh, so there's this rivalry between China and America. And so, you know, the president of uh, China, Xi Jinping, pledged that, uh, that China will reunite to Taiwan in his lifetime. This was in 1st July. Okay? At the same time, many Americans... Uh, support defending Taiwan if China ever invades. Uh, President Joe Biden has said that China is, is, is America's number one strategic competitor. And just uh, last week, uh, Australia is now getting uh, nuclear submarines. Right? So if you, if you read the commentaries in the newspaper or the opinion pieces, uh, we live in a very dangerous world now uh, where perhaps in the not too distant future, there will be war. And so we live in a world where really it's very hard to find peace. Uh, not, not, not shalom peace and you know, total well-being and goodness and, and, and everything good, but even the, the world's subjective, very limited view of the absence of war, we find it very hard to achieve. But thanks be to God and thanks be to Jesus because the oracle that we see here, we know will be fulfilled. Because Jesus, the one who brings shalom peace, has arrived. And he will come again. And when he comes again, all the weapons of war will be destroyed. And there will be lasting peace. So let's go to God in prayer now. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we really 
want to ask that we may truly understand your greatness, the greatness of your promises, your oracles for the future. And by understanding them, we may come to a fresh appreciation of you and Jesus and what you've done for us, a real gratitude, a real sense of thankfulness that uh, we cannot go anywhere else for salvation, cannot go anywhere else to find justice, We cannot go anywhere else to find real peace. And so, dear Father, let us move on from the false faith of trying to find these solutions in the world that we live in today, the created world, but instead turn to you as our creator, as our maker, and as our savior. Turn to you because we know that only you have the solution to all these problems that we face and we confront so desperately in this world today. We thank you for sending us Jesus, for indeed he was gentle. He was the one who came riding on a colt in Jerusalem. And to those who have eyes to see, he is truly the one who is righteous, the one who is having salvation. The priest king of Zechariah 6, the branch of David of Zechariah 3, he is the one who will bring all these things to pass. Pray for each and every one of us that we may continue to have deep, strong faith in Him. Pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Thank you, Pastor Andrew. So we will now have a five-minute breakout session to reflect on the passage and the sermon. Now on this slide, you can see the reflection questions. Number Number one, what have you learned today about what God is going to do and make eternal? Number two, how is this an encouragement to our faith? And number three, in what situations would you need to remind yourself of God's oracle? Now, for those on Zoom, uh, the Zoom host will paste the questions in the chat for easy reference, and he'll also be shortly sending you out to your breakout rooms. I encourage you to switch on your cameras and unmute yourselves for the discussion. Uh, For those of us here in the main hall, do feel free to discuss these questions with one another. And, uh, do, but do stay within the, 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 your seat boundaries. Okay, so we will have uh, five minutes for this. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.